Isn't worship this morning just wonderful? Amen. I'm going to pray again, and then uh, we'll get into this. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. Thank you that you're here with us right now. And we just surrender our hearts to you and our ears, Lord, and our eyes, every part of us to you right now. And we just ask you to speak to us, lead us, and guide us. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I get to talk about worship. And um, once again, you know, Pastor Jason said, hey, I want you to talk about worship. And I was like, awesome. He gave me another hard one because when you talk about worship, it's like you can rabbit trail off of so, in so many directions on this topic. And so um, I was excited to do it. Uh, I was also feel, felt quite a bit of weight as I was preparing this message um, just because it's a, it's a serious it's a serious one, this whole topic of worship and what does it mean and what is God asking of us when he says to come and worship him. And so I'm excited for uh, this, this talk, um, but I will forewarn, this may be a, a message for some of you that will be um, a call to repentance. For some of us, it will be just a, like Jesus calling us to go deeper with him, um, and whatnot. And it's going to be a pretty simple message. I'm not going to be talking about things that you guys haven't heard before. It's going to be pretty simple. Um, so just bear with me as I, as I share. Uh, but we're pulling everything from Acts 2, 42 through 47, these spiritual gifts, or the spiritual disciplines. And I'll read that. It says in Acts 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were gathered together, or I'm sorry, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so we see them praising God. They were worshiping God regularly. So uh, worship is something we need to develop in our lives. And, um, you know, I grew up in church, uh, as I mentioned back in November when I shared my testimony. And uh, I learned about worship at a very young age. And worship for me always kind of revolved around music, and um, I grew up in a musical family. My dad played drums. And so every Saturday morning, we always had um, Christian metal playing in the house, a Striper. Some of you might remember Striper. And um, a, a lot of other bands, but that was what I woke up to. Um, my mom played piano and sang. Um, my brother will tell his testimony. He was not musical, but now he is musical and can play the bass. My sister is able to sing, and um, she has a great voice. So. I uh, quickly picked up the guitar and started playing and worshiping in churches, or in my churches that, that we attended, and, and uh, I just loved it, you know, getting into God's presence in that way. But I didn't fully understand worship, um, because, you know, when you're, when you're up in front of people and you're playing, it's really easy to get into this entertainment mindset, not on purpose, but, like, you're just worried that you're going to mess up and you start thinking about, I'm performing and um, it can become, uh, it can lead you into a lot of misunderstandings about what worship is. 
And I remember this time, um, back probably 2007 or 2008, uh, there was a worship leader uh, here named Christina Mancuso, which some of you remember. And there was a, a when, I think it was a Wednesday night, and I had to start a song. And um, some of you probably don't know what a capo is, but basically when you're playing guitar, if you don't want to play a certain chord, you can put a capo on and you, know, you can play an easy chord in a whole different key. And so we were going to start this song in a, in a key. We'll just say that just to make it simple. And um, I forgot to take my capo off. And I started the song in the completely wrong key. And everybody, like the girls that were singing, they picked up on, like they just started singing it in that key. I don't know how they did it because it was pretty high. And um, the musicians, they also, you know, started playing and they, they figured out, you know, what was going on and they saw my, my chord uh, uh, figurations and they, they jumped on board. But then halfway through the song, I realized my capo was on, and I freaked out. And I was like, oh, no. And so like in the strum, I'm like, capo off. I set it down. I kept strumming. And now, the, now I'm leading the song. It's in a completely different key. And the, everything's just chaotic and crashing. It sounds awful. And Christina, she just she kind of like looks at me, and then she just like ends the song. Like, right? So it's like we ended the song. That was it. It was done. And I but. It's funny, uh, but I felt awful when, I, when that happened. I was like, this is, I, I literally am failing at worship and failing everyone else and leading them into worship. And so it was awful. But God is gracious. You know, he knows our hearts. And, um, and so um, this morning we're going to, let's dive into worship. And what, what really is worship? What does it mean to worship God? And when studying scripture, you know, one of the best ways to learn about whatever, a topic or a word or anything in the Bible is to go back to the beginning and to when that first thing happened or that first word was mentioned. And so that's what we're going to do with worship today. Um, For example, you know, the covenants that God establishes, the way he works is he oftentimes will start with like the baseline, the foundation, and then he'll build on top of it. So Covenants, like he started a covenant with Abraham and promised to make him a father of many nations. And then that covenant progressed into Moses, and Moses brought a new covenant, and Israel became the bride of God. And then the covenant um, continued to move forward into King David's covenant, where uh, God promised uh, David, you know, I'm going to bring the Messiah through your line and made a covenant with him, and then ultimately Jesus came, you know, the seed of David, and um, a new covenant, the final covenant was formed with him. And so you see this progression, and it's the same thing with worship. And so the first place that we see the word worship mentioned is in the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, which is in Genesis 22. And I'm going to read um, eight verses from that. We're not going to go through the whole story today. Um, We're going to go through the whole story next week, um, but I, I do want to read uh, this first eight verses and get us to worship here. So Genesis 22, uh, 1 through 8 says, sometime later God tested Abraham. How many of you like when God tests you? <laughs> he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, there's the word worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood to the, uh, for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So this story is a foreshadow, ultimately, of what the father did for us by sending Jesus and, and sacrificing his son. And we're going to talk um, more about that next week. But I want to start with where he says uh, to his servants, I and the boy are going to go worship. And so, worship, what is that word? We're going to do a little word study here. The word for worship in this passage is the Hebrew word spelled S-A-H-A. I'm going to try to say it. Shah-ha, something like that. But we'll just say Saha because it's so much easier. <laughs> okay, here's what it means, though, in the original language, in Hebrew. It means to depress to prostrate, especially reflexive, especially reflexive in the homage to royalty or God. Bow self down, crouch, fall down flat. So on your stomach, face to the ground. Humbly beseech, do or make obeisance, do reverence, make to stoop, worship. So the first thing that we see that worship is is it's a posture. And it's a posture of submission and humility. It's a posture of submission and humility. Worship at its core involves an action of prostrating, bowing down, humbly beseeching, and stooping low. And this same word is used in prior chapters in Genesis 18 and 19, where Abraham bows before um, ultimately Jesus and the two angels and Lot as he bows between, uh, before the two angels that come to rescue them from the destruction coming. But that word is there, is used as bow. So posture. This is a posture. Posture is the positioning of our bodies. It can be strategic positioning or simply the way your body is situated. Posture is important. It lets someone know that know what's going on in your heart and in your mind. It shows people whether you are approachable or not. So if I come and I'm standing, if, if somebody comes up to me and I posture my face, because you can posture your face, and I give them the evil look, okay? And I come up with my hands up. Am I approachable? No. no. You don't, at least, unless you're the same way. <laughs> you're like, let's do it, right? <laughs> so that's not, okay, so another posture, you know, uh, hand to the face. How many have experienced that? Yes. Um, I'm not approachable. But if I come at you and I posture my face with a smile and I come at you with a hug, arms of, to ready to hug, I'm, I'm, I'm approachable, right? So, worship is a posture, though, 
of submission that we take as a whole person, spirit, soul, and body. And this, just, this wasn't just in the Old Testament, this was in the New Testament. So Mark 12, 29 and 30, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, because he's asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That is all of our body. Every part of us is to be postured in a submissive form to God. In Matthew 4.10, Jesus says uh, to Satan, then Jesus, he's being tempted in the wilderness. He says, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That word worship there is another, it's a Greek word, and that word is proskuneo. Everybody say proskuneo. <laughs> Who's heard that word before? Anybody? Okay. Well, here's a new word for you. You can use it if you want in your everyday Greek speaking. Okay. <laughs> It means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. Worship, the way Jesus described it, means to kiss like a dog, to lick your master's hand. You know, dogs, they love their masters. Who has a dog? Okay. They love their masters. Do cats come and lick you? No. With dogs, they want to be with you. They want to be close to you. They want to cuddle you. They want to lick you until you just cannot handle it anymore, right? It means to fawn or crouch. It means to prostrate oneself in homage, to do reverence, to adore. It means to worship. That is worship. So these physical postures are motivated by the things though, that we feel and ultimately the things that we believe in our hearts. Our actions reveal our beliefs. That's a if there's one thing you should remember today, your actions reveal your beliefs. <laughs> I have that written on my wall at home. I made a chalkboard wall in my room. It's kind of childish, but I love it. And so um, it's so nice. You can just come in your room and be like, oh, yeah, I need to remember this. Write it down. Or this is a great thing to remember. So, you know, the things that we do reveal what we believe. And worship is the same way. If worship means to bow down, and submit ourselves to God, and we are not willing to do that, and we're not doing it, then what do we really believe, right? Our actions reveal our beliefs. Beliefs determine what we think, say, and do, and that goes for our posture. You can see uh, people in movies. How many of you like movies, right? So uh, I do. And how many of you have ever watched a movie where uh, someone, there's a king, and someone is forced to bow down, or they come before him, and they do not care about this king. They hate this king, but they still bow down before him. There's a lot of reasons that we will prostrate and bow down ourselves. And usually in those movies, they're afraid, right? They're like, I'll do whatever you say, just don't kill me. But then you see movies where there's a king, and people bow down to him and reverence and honor and love. For instance, the Chronicles of Narnia, where, you know, the kids bow down to, to Aslan. He's the king. They love him. As Christians, when it comes to worship, for many of us, 
you know, we have to really ask ourselves, why are we bowing down to Jesus? You know, do we really love him? Do we seek his face? Do we trust him? And worship can be hard for a lot of us, this idea of bowing down and prostrating ourselves before him. Especially in our culture. We live in a culture where nobody wants to submit to anyone. Right? We all have our opinions. What I say goes, and if you don't like it, you're wrong. Um, we, have a, we also have a big issue with pride. You know? You know, I'm not bowing down to you. I'm not submitting to you. And so for us, uh, even uh, thankfully not here, you know, we worshiped this morning and we bowed down before him and submitted. But for the sake of understanding what worship is and this discipline, it, it, it is something that we have to um, really consider and take into great thought. Like, when I come to worship God, why am I coming to worship him? What's keeping me from submitting my heart to him? Um, understanding worship as a posture is key for us uh, to grasp. Because I've misunderstood worship, as I mentioned. I know I've been to plenty of worship services um, and sang, but didn't feel close to God or like he was even around. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yes? And it's very easy to blame um, our worship, quote-unquote, experience on those leading worship, right? You know, I've, I've known people that have left churches because, or gone to different churches because, you know, the worship is better at this other church. But they don't know what worship means. Because if worship literally means to prostrate yourself and to submit and to bow down, to lick your master's hand like a dog because you love him so much, then if, if that's what it really means then the, worship, the, the music really has nothing to do with it. And I'm a musician, and I love music. In the Bible, God created music. He speaks heavily about it. He talks about it. King David says, play skillfully to the Lord. God tells Jehoshaphat, send out the, the worshipers before you go to battle. You know, there's, there's prophets that called for someone to come and play a musical instrument to bring in the presence of the Lord so that I'm not... Um, disregarding music, singing, or any of that whatsoever. But if we're leaving churches or different things because we want a better worship experience, are we really understanding what worship is? Because from what I have seen in Scripture, you don't need music at all to worship. Um, God brought back to me the story of Paul and Silas in, the, in prison. And, you know, it's just them in there and a bunch of other prisoners. And I didn't read in there where, there, where Paul was like, hey, what's your name in the corner? My name's Jimmy. Jimmy, lay down a beat. <laughs> Beatbox for me a little bit. What's your name? Oh, my name's Frank. Frank, chains on two and four. Okay? Okay? And then you over there, give us a little hum. Hmm, with a melody. And we're going to sing and worship the Lord. Now, when you read the story in Acts 16, there's no music other than Paul and Silas. It says, it says, all the prisoners listened. They were listening. They weren't doing anything. They were listening. Paul and Silas, it says, they prayed and sang hymns to the Lord. What were they doing? They were literally prostrating themselves, their hearts, sacrificing praises to God, praying. And in the midst of that, 
The whole place shook, the chains fell, the doors opened, and the, the, the guard freaks out. He's ready to kill himself, and Paul's like, stop, don't do that. And he turns to Jesus. Probably the greatest worship service you've ever seen in your life, right? I, I've never been in a worship service that, was, that that happened in. Have you? Worship is a prostrating of our hearts to God, and our hearts should be reflected into um, our bodies. It should be evident. Uh, there's a couple books I recommend. Uh, this topic is one that you could read and go to conferences on all year. But Celebration of Disciplines, I've mentioned this one the last time I talked about fasting. Great book. I'm going to read an excerpt from that regarding this topic right now. And then How to Worship a King. I recommend this book. Uh, Sydney uh, did a book study with some of us uh, a year or two ago on the topic of worship. So if you don't have those books, grab them. But I want to look at a, an excerpt here from this topic by uh, Richard J. Foster. It says this. God calls for worship that involves our whole being. The body, mind, spirit, and emotions should all be laid on the altar of worship. Often we forget that worship should include the body as well as the mind and the spirit. The Bible describes worship in physical terms. The root meaning for the Hebrew word we translate worship is to prostrate. The word bless literally means to kneel. Thanksgiving refers to an extension of the hand. Throughout scripture, we find a variety of physical postures in connection with worship. Lying prostrate, standing, kneeling, lifting the hands, clapping the hands, lifting the head, bowing the head, dancing, and wearing sackcloth and ashes. The point is that we are to offer God our bodies as well as all the rest of our being. Worship is appropriately physical. We are to present our bodies to God in a posture consistent with the inner spirit in worship. Standing, clapping, dancing, lifting the hands, Lifting the head, our posture is consistent with the spirit of praise. To sit still, looking dour, is simply not appropriate for praise. Kneeling, bowing the head, lying prostrate, our posture is consistent with the spirit of adoration and humility. We are quick to object to this line of teaching. People have different temperaments, we argue, that, they may, that may appeal to emotional types. But I'm naturally quiet and reserved. It isn't the kind of worship that will meet my need. What we must see is that the real question in worship is not what will meet my need. The real question is what kind of worship does God call for? It is clear that God calls for wholehearted worship and it is as reasonable to expect wholehearted worship to be physical as to expect it to be cerebral. Often our reserved temperament is little more than fear of what others will think of us or perhaps unwillingness to humble ourselves before God and others. Of course, people have different temperaments. But that must never keep us from worshiping with our whole being. Having said this, I must hasten to add that the physical response to worship is never to be, to be manipulated in, in any way. We are to give each other freedom to respond to the moving of God upon our heart. In many worship experiences, I have seen at any given moment people sitting, standing, kneeling, and lying prostrate, and the Spirit of God resting upon them all. Some evidence deep emotion. Others show no outward manifestations, whatever. But all are under the brooding spirit of God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Didn't we just talk about that today? Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. We may, of course, do all the things I have described and never enter into worship. 
but they, are, but they can provide avenues through which we place ourselves before God so that our inner spirit can be touched and freed. There's a lot in that little excerpt there. And the things that really stood out to me as I read that, was a lot of it, but wholehearted worship includes our bodies. And so uh, I want to start challenging us, you know, to include your body in worship. If you haven't or don't, try it. Because it should, if our hearts truly love God, if we truly love him, we should express it to him. You know, how many of us want to be in a relationship with somebody who never expresses their love to us in a physical way? Nobody, right? That's not fun. So I want to challenge all of us to do that. If you can't physically bow down to the ground, it's okay. Bow down as low as you can. Bow your head. Sit. If you cannot get up, sit down and envision yourself bowing before God. But bring your body into this uh, posture because that's what worship is. And when you see it, it's a physical posturing from something going on in our hearts. The other thing he says, the real question in worship isn't what will meet my need because the fact of the matter is that when we genuinely worship God, our needs will be met. The real question is what kind of worship does God call for? What kind of worship does God call for from us? Is he worthy of our whole bodies adoring him? I'm going to read Ezekiel 1, 2 through 2. Uh, through 2, 2. So it's quite a passage. And I hope you don't mind me reading these long passages of, passages of Scripture. Um, but I, just, I want you to imagine what, what Ezekiel sees here. And then how he responds. It says, Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Then I looked... And behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself. Just imagine this. And brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. This is a picture of the things going on around the throne of God. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under the wings on their four sides, and each of their four hands, I'm sorry, each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man, each, had the, had the, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies, and each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. 
And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the creatures, behold, the wheel, behold, a wheel was on the, on the earth beside each of the living Beside each living creature with its four faces, the appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl and, had, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they moved, they went toward any of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, because, the spirit, because there the Spirit went. And the wheels were, were lifted together with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, those, uh, when those stood these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads, and under the firmament their wings spread out straight, one toward another. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over, the he over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance, like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a, was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber, with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me and he, when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. I don't know about you, but if I saw that, I would have fallen on my face too. And, and when, he told, when God told him to stand up, he couldn't stand up. That's why the Spirit of the Lord came and stood him up. I'm not going to read Revelations 1, <clears throat> Revelation 1 or 4, but write them down. Because in there you see similar pictures of this exact thing. And both times you see John in chapter 1 falls on his face when he sees God. And in Revelation 4 you see 24 elders falling down, just as we sang, worthy of it all, falling down, worshiping. That's worship. They were worshiping. They were submitting themselves to God, casting their crowns, giving him everything because he's so powerful. And there's a reason that Paul says in Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Everyone is going to bow down to him. 
whether they love him or not. Because when you see an image like that, like we just read in Ezekiel, it's serious. God is a powerful God. I mean, we have no idea how powerful he is, how deserving of worship he is by us. And when I think about these pictures of God and think about the things in my life that I have prostrated my heart to and my body to instead of him, it's a hard thing to think about. I mean, idolatry, that's basically what it is. I have committed idolatry in my life. Anybody else? Can I see some hands, please? <laughs> we all have, right? Thank you for that hand, Pastor. <laughs> idolatry is a real thing. There's so many things you can worship. You don't need to go to another country and worship an actual physical idol. Every country, every nation, every culture has its idols. You know? Let's pull this out. I'm just going to check Instagram right now, guys, because I need to. And I do this, and then God's, I'll be at home, and God's like, hey, you want to talk? Yeah. One second. I just need to like this and then respond to this. An hour later, God's like, hey, you ready to be done with that? Yeah, I am. I'm kind of bored with this now, but I think I want to watch a movie. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. And then gets to the nighttime. I haven't spent time with God at all. And I get in my bed, and he's like, are you ready finally to talk? I'm like, yeah, I'm so tired now. <laughs> it's funny to think about. But are we, what are we worshiping? What are the things in our lives that we're prostrating to? I mean, there's serious things, right? There's sins that we prostrate to. There's the, the common ones, you know. There's the sex, you know, immoral sex. There's uh, images. There's drugs. There's alcohol. There's all those things, right? But then there's other things. You can posture yourself before your mirror in the vanity of our hearts, worrying about how we look. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten on the scale and be like, man, I suck at life right now, oh God. And my whole day's ruined because I'm like five pounds heavier than I think I should be at this very moment, you know? Uh, there's, there's other idols. There's the dreams that God gives you. You know, we can make the dreams that God gives us, the desires of our heart that God has put there can easily become an idol to us to the point where when, you know, they, you don't see the things you want happening in your life coming to pass, you get afraid. The devil comes and lies and he says, hey, you know, God, he might bring it to you. Maybe he won't. You, know, you might go to heaven and never experience that. And we're like, oh no. As if heaven is going to be not awesome. <laughs> and, and we submit to those things and we'll take matters into our own hands and soon the devil has the control idol. Okay, I'm going to take control of everything in my life. The pride idol the fear idol. How many of you have been afraid and completely bowed down to that fear and that worry? I know I have. And that's why this message was hard for me to, for me to prepare because it's like, wow, you know, like you start seeing like, okay, magnifying glass on my whole life right now as I prepare this message. <laughs> like, oh, Lord. So the first challenge I want to offer all of us today 
understanding that, and I'm, you know, I'm not a pro, I don't know everything, I'm not an expert on this, but just on the understanding of what the word means, I want to challenge all of us to begin to posture our lives, our hearts, and our bodies before God every single day throughout the day. If you are afraid to bow down before the Lord, do it in your room, by yourself. I'll tell you, I've been doing it. I'm trying to make it a regular practice, and it feels so good. It feels so good to lay down on the ground, flat. That posture is a posture of rest. Worship is a posture of rest for us. You don't have rest in your life. You're afraid of something. You're worried. Just get on the ground with your face to the ground or on your hands like this or whatever and just talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender. And I want to challenge all of us to evaluate the things in our life that we know are taking precedent over God and the things that we are submitting to in our life that are not him. Because, this brings me to the next point, worship is in our DNA. We are always going to worship. It is instinctive in us to worship something, no matter what. In all of scripture, you never hear God telling people to worship. What? Yeah, you don't ever hear God telling people to worship. He never says, worship. He says, worship me. Worship me. He has to tell people to worship him. He has to be specific. Worship me. Why? Because it's instinctive in us to worship. Exodus 22 through 3, he tells the first commandment is, you know, I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Why is it instinctive in our DNA to want to prostrate ourselves, humble ourselves, and serve something in some way, even if it's evil? Why? Because we were created by love, right? 1 John 4, 8, God is love. If God is love, he created us in love, by love, for love, everything. It's love. And perfect love naturally submits itself to the one it loves and is willing to sacrifice everything. It wants to do it. Love naturally wants to lay down its life for another. That is the characteristic of love. Adam and Eve were created in and with and by perfect love in the image of God. It's instinctual. So whether we are saved or or still sinners... We are naturally always looking for things to prostrate and to praise. Think about celebrities. Think about athletes. Think about, I don't know, anything that you love. You know, like people, like we're always looking for something to bestow praise. And it's not wrong to bestow, you know, to say, you know, to honor somebody who is deserving of honor. But I'm just making the point. It is a natural thing for us that we want to worship and we want to love. And so the question is, you know, what are we? If we're going to do it, you know, what are we actually worshiping? Why are we worshiping? And this issue of this aspect of love is super important. Worship and love are almost synonymous, uh, synonymous words. You know, when Jesus um, is asked the question, 
what is the greatest commandment, which we just talked about, he didn't respond with, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. He responds with, uh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. So there is something that happens that unifies. When we, have, when we worship, there is something that happens in love that connects. And it happens in marriage. Not that the husband and the wife are worshiping one another, but in the sense of um, coming into mutual submission to one another in love. You're submitting yourselves to one another. That's aspect of worship, right? And it's an amazing thing because when two come together in love and submit to one another, there is just this wonderful experience of freedom and life and joy and everything you want. And this is the difference between every other religion and ours. Our relationship, I should say, with Jesus. Every other religion worships out of fear. Out of worry. And out of, uh, yeah, just being forced to do it. And like, if you don't do this, you're going to go to you're going to go to wherever they go if they don't believe in hell, right? Um, our, really, our faith is completely different because it is based in love. Our worship is because we love him. We prostrate ourselves because we love him. And God is not asking us to do something that he hasn't done already. And I'm not saying that God worships us at all. But he definitely showed us what worship looks like as he laid down his life for us, as the Father sent his Son to die as Jesus prostrated himself before his father, before he said, not my will, but your will be done. As Jesus knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. And so how much more should we want to also love him and worship him? You know, this discipline of worship really, it's not a discipline of like how, like of worshiping. It's, it's a discipline of worshiping him and why we worship him. So if worship is a posture of submission and love and it's in our DNA instinctively to worship, then what are the things in our lives that we are worshiping and that are coming before God and that also should have no part in our lives? The last illustration I want to use today is one from Revelation 3, 14 through 22. I want to look at another way to look at this idea of worshiping, of worship in this, this posture in submission. It says in verse 14, I'm just going to read it. It's a letter to the church of the Laodiceans. He says, and to the angel of the Lord of the Laodiceans, I'm sorry, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of, the, out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, uh, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness that you uh, may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore it be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who welcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And as I, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So I'm not reading this as a rebuke to any of us in that regard. I wanted to get to the point of him knocking on the door. So a door is used for a building as an entry point or an exit point, correct? And so how many of you love houses? We all love houses, right? So did you know you can posture your house to be welcoming or you can posture your house to be unwelcoming? So if I go down into the inner city and I see a house that's all overgrown and the paint's chipping off of the whole place and the roof's kind of falling apart and it's got this door and it says beware of dog or, you know, no trespassing or something, that house is postured in a way that is not welcoming, right? But if I go down south somewhere and I go see this beautiful ranch, that ranch house, you know, that uh, ranch-style house, it's got that nice wraparound porch, there's rocking chairs in the front, the door is open, and there's just a screen door, and you see like an apple pie sitting on the side, let's just say Mayberry, right? And there's kids outside playing and laughing, and you know, and you see the, there, there's somebody out sitting in that rocking chair waving, like that house, and that door, and if that house is postured in a way that you just feel welcome to go to. And so the, another way to look at this posturing of worship for us is um, the door of your heart. I mean, is it welcoming to the Lord? That is worship. When we posture ourselves in a way, we are opening the door to Jesus. And it's really interesting in this, in this little section here because we use that, that, that knocking, like Jesus knocking on the door for salvation usually. Like, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. But, you know, in this chapter... Jesus is knocking on the door of the hearts of not the unsaved, the church. This church stopped worshiping, right? And so, for this image, when we think about worship and posturing ourselves and bowing down to him, think about the door of your heart. Is it open? Is it welcoming? You know, I'm opening the door to him. In fact, Jesus, you don't even have to knock. Just Come in, because we're family, right? He's our Lord, the Father. Should walk right in. And so, we had a wonderful worship experience this morning. Experience, right? I, I don't know why I call it that. <clears throat> it's been ingrained in my head, you know, over all these years. We've had a wonderful time of worshiping and coming down before him. And we, uh, Liz, Pastor Liz, you challenged everybody, you know, if there was something, just come up to the front and just release it to God. And I want to take the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes here, and let's do it again. If you haven't done that, now's the time. Or maybe after listening to this, you're like, you know what, there's some idols, there's some things in my life that I, I just need to get rid of right now, or I want to start getting rid of. Let's take the time and just do it together. Because we come together when we worship. We're coming together to prostrate ourselves before the Lord together and to honor him and to worship him. And I want to challenge all of us. You know, these things, we are a family. We're supposed to do life together. So whoever of us are all friends together, we talk during the week, talk to each other about it. You know, say, hey, man, this little thing's becoming an idol in my life and I need to get rid of it. You can, you know, I need some encouragement. Encourage one another in these things. Um, but worship team, if you can come back up, we're going to just, we'll just sing that last song again, and we can just start from the top of it, and um, I just want to challenge everybody, you know, think about this, and, and just take the moment to just enjoy the Lord. Once again, I did not want this to be a, uh, 
heavy message in a, in a way that was going to make anyone feel like condemned in any way or at all. But uh, worship is the number one command. And if there is one thing that destroyed Israel and sent them into captivity every single time, it is the issue of they stopped worshiping Jesus or God. They stopped worshiping him. And so um, taking the time to develop this, I mean, opening the door to Jesus, you want peace, you want rest, you want life, you want joy, every desire of your heart to be fulfilled, it happens in this moment of submission and living in a submissive state before him. Um, so I'm going to have uh, our prayer uh, group leaders, you can come up to the front. If you need prayer, I'm going to welcome you to come up and get prayer. But we're just going to take the last, like I said, 10 or 15 minutes here. And let's just get into that place of submitting to God and just ask him, what in my life right now is not right before you? Where, what do I need to submit? What idol, what thing is, is, is taking your place and what, what uh, you know, evaluate the posture of your heart to Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, or you're far from him, just come up to the front. Posture yourself before him and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I need you. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead for us. And so I want to welcome you to come up here. So uh, we can just turn down the lights again a little bit, and you guys can just begin uh, playing, worshiping, and... The altar is open for all of us to, be, to begin worshiping Jesus and letting his word speak to us. Right. And then I'll come back up at the end and close this out. place of worship is where we should live. You need answers in your life, question that you have, this is the place that we live.
place of submission to God because we love him, but because he loves us. He loves us. Worship is submission. Worship is our response to his love. You know, when we come to him and worship him, he doesn't come back down and bow down to us. We come to worship him and bow down to him. And his response to us as we respond to him is to envelop us and to bring us into himself, into oneness and unity with himself and the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Worship is very relational. It's completely relational. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to just challenge us to keep going in this every single day as we go through our day. Worship him. Submit to him. Say, use your words and just, I submit to you, Jesus. Bow down to him in your room or whatever, in the car. Bow your head just to Jesus, I love you just continue to open the door keep the door completely open for him to walk in amen next week we're going to continue this and we're going to be talking about the exciting aspect of worship called sacrifice (laughs) so come back no it's going to be good i promise like sacrifice i'm learning about this right now and it's it's simply amazing and so um we'll pray and then we can fellowship and talk and uh, go about our week. But Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you that we can worship you literally anywhere, all the time, and be in your presence. And Jesus, we want you to just walk into our hearts all day. Just live there. And we want to submit to you and worship you and know you and be like you and be with you and be one with you and our dad, our father in heaven. And we give you all the praise and glory because you are worthy of it. You deserve the praise and honor and glory because you are worthy of it. If for no other reason, but you've given us infinite reasons to worship you. And we love you and praise you. And we ask your blessing and your protection upon us as we go and a reminder of your love for us at every moment of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys.